Now we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Once you, uh, once you use your email a little bit to order some products here or there or, or to shop around as I have to look for an airplane flight or a motel room and that sort of thing, then you start getting promotional offers. And uh, I'm sure they must work uh, based on the numbers as in the more they flood your, your inbox, the more they expect to get a response. And uh, I regularly get email offers from several travel websites which are especially appealing this time of year. They're always promoting special deals to the Caribbean or to uh, the Mexican Riviera or to Hawaii. There's uh, lots of ad for cruises. You know, and the water is blue and the sun is shining and the sky is clear. And I think, yes, yes, yes. When the sky is gray and it's cold. <laughs> After finally making it to Hawaii last year, my first visit ever to a warm a beach kind of place, I have no trouble imagining how good the sun would feel and the sea air smells and the warm wa warm ocean water. Oh, swimming in the warm ocean water. Mm, can you feel that right now? Can you feel the breeze on your face? Mm, can I get a witness there? Yes. I'm dreaming tonight. No, not of Hawaii. The Apostle Paul was dreaming of a special place while he worked through his days in jail. And I believe that same kind of warm, wonderful feeling that we just thought about is what he felt when he thought about going to heaven. Follow from Philippians chapter 1, we looked at the first half of this verse last week. I want to look at the second half this week. Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die, to die would be gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell. For I am hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, far better. Paul was looking forward to heaven, and I want to talk about what he was looking forward to today. I find that sometimes even as I, as I travel among Christians, that their concept of heaven isn't, isn't what God has for us. Paul was looking forward to heaven. And I want you to understand something. By the way this is written here, <clears throat> what's clear is that Paul was not looking forward to dying. There's a difference between looking forward to heaven and looking forward to dying. Look at the verse, for to me to live is Christ, and to literally to have died. To have died would be, would be the way that the verb tense is written in Greek. And so he, he's not saying, oh, I'm, I'm so excited to, to go through the process of death. No. But he said, I'm excited to have died because then I will be with Christ, verse 23, to depart and be with Christ. After I'd worked as a, as a chaplain for the fire department and police department for many years and seen many death scenes, 
I began to realize that it's only Christians who can truly face death with joy through their tears because of the anticipation of heaven and so on. And, and yet I found a lot of Christians shying away from death. And, and as I tried to, to factor that all together, somehow in my mind I thought they should be so focused on heaven, you know, and, and, and yet they're focused on death and I couldn't quite factor that out until one day I was at a meeting with some other pastors and there was an older godly man. Uh, in fact, uh, he was such a scholar that he had worked on the translation of the New International Version, the original translation. He taught in our seminary, pastored a church, was a wonderful, kind, gracious man, and he was battling cancer. And I said, Phil, he, he, and he ended up having about a five-year battle with cancer and then going to be with the Lord. I said, Phil, why are Christians so so... Why do they recoil so much from death? And he said something that just absolutely changed my thinking. He said, we weren't created to die. I've been so immersed in the, in the, in the culture of the emergency services and in the psychology that goes with that, which is not godly psychology. And they've been telling me so often, death is just a normal part of life. Death is a normal part of life. And that's the secular world's attempt to help us to help people come to grips with death as though, well, you're born and then you die. Don't worry about it. It's just normal. But what Phil Williams told me in just a, a moment was, no, it's not normal. God created us to live and to be sustained in life by what he provided in the Garden of Eden, namely the tree of life. And when man sinned, he said, I'm not going to let man live in sin forever. And so he banished man out of the garden and, and put an angel to guard that tree. And, and in the future, in heaven, that tree is going to be brought back to us or us to it. And we are going to again be sustained by what God originally intended for us to be sustained by. Paul was not looking forward to the process of dying. He was in jail. He knew that if he were to be executed, it would not be a joyful occasion. But he was looking forward to, look at verse 23, to departing and being with Christ. And the word depart was used in ancient Greek of like taking down the tent. When you take down the tent and pack it up and you're going on your way. And the tent is especially a poignant word because in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul referred to the body as a tent, a temporary dwelling. He said, I'm looking forward to taking down this tent and going on to be with Christ. And it seems to me that what we're seeing from Paul is that he was so excited about heaven that the entrance requirement didn't faze him. He didn't need to focus on death because he's just all he could think was, I'm going to be with Jesus. I've had the opportunity to travel to some, some exotic, faraway places, and this is one of the places that when I got there, I just stood and looked around and thought, I'm standing on the Great Wall of China. You know, you can, you can see it. You can, you can do Google Earth and go down there and see the Great Wall. And I thought, wow, what, what an incredible experience. Now, to get to the Great Wall of China from Ferndale takes some time. You either have to drive or fly to Seattle. You got to sit around for a couple of hours in the Seattle airport. You got to get on an airplane. It used to be you had to fly to Japan. You had to fly a 10 hour flight to Japan. Then you got to go through security again twice. And then you have to fly to China about six hours. 
And then if you were to go straight to the Great Wall of China, you'd get in a car and drive for about an hour to an hour and a half. Okay. Now, if I said to some of you today, tomorrow morning, I'm going to give you a trip to the Great Wall of China, you'd say, what time do I need to be here? And, and if I said, no, wait a minute, it's going to take you two days of travel to get there. Some of you would say, I don't care. How many of you say, I don't care? Yeah, say, hey, I'm going to the Great Wall of China. Okay, there's going to be kids screaming on the airplane. I don't care. I'll take my sound-deadening headphones. You see, that's the way Paul was looking at heaven and at death. He said, I'm going to be with Jesus. Well, Paul, in order for that to happen, you're going to have to die. He said, I don't care. To live as Christ, to, to have died, gain. All he could think about was being with the Lord. And so what we understand was he was looking forward to heaven. He was looking forward in his concept of heaven <clears throat> to being with Christ. A lot of times we think about heaven, we have a lot of things that we think will be great. I think the number one thing that we will experience and the number one thing Paul was looking forward to was being with Christ. Turn over a few pages to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, right after the Thessalonians. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I think Paul's testimony that he gives here may tell us why he was so excited to see Christ. 1 Timothy 1.12 And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me in the ministry. Verse 13 Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying, and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy, that in me first Christ Jesus might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. The Apostle Paul said, I was a blasphemer. That word means to speak bad, and it's normally used in reference to God. He said, I said bad things about God. Number two, he said, I was a persecutor. Um, we could certainly look up at the scripture, and, and we'll look at one example in a minute, where he persecuted the church of God. The word insolent is used in the King James and the New King James. It, it, it literally means to be violent or to be somebody who injures other people. He said he was ignorant. He was unbelieving. And he called himself a chief sinner. A chief sinner. That was Paul's perspective on himself. Now, did Paul go around with his chin on the ground always saying, how terrible I am, how terrible I am. No, he didn't do that. But he knew who he used to be, and he knew how God had saved him. Here's a snapshot of, who he, of, of a testimony he gave in the book of Acts. Indeed, I myself 
thought I'm, I, I thought I should do many things contrary to the name of Jesus. That's talking about blaspheming and about his insolent behavior. He said, I thought I should oppose the name of Jesus. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints, the, the, the believers in Christ, I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. What would it be like as a believer in Christ to sit down and think, oh man, that's Stephen, he was a great man, he was preaching the gospel and I stood there and hold the, held the coats of all those people while they threw rocks and put him to death. What kind of a, a self-evaluation would you have? And I punished them often in every synagogue, and I compelled them to blaspheme. In other words, he said, look, you, you, recount, you recant your testimony of Christ, and I'll let you live. And so they would. I compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. I don't know what your image is of Paul going around persecuting the church, but he uses the word enraged. And being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. Apostle Paul chased them down. Now look at 1 Timothy 1.16. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. As the Apostle Paul thought about heaven, he thought, <laughs> I am going to see my Savior who looked past all of my terrible behavior and reached down and caused me to come to a place where I could believe in Him. And when I believed in Him, He put me into the ministry, preaching the wonderful message that He gave to me, and, and someday I'm going to see Him. I knew a man years ago who had a disability, and his disability made him jerk a lot. And... Uh, uh, he had a public position, and it was uh, it was quite visible his disability. I mean, and it never went away. Sometimes it was a little less than others, but it was a quite visible. And and uh, I only ever heard him talk about that disability one time, and it was in a uh, a meeting where we were sharing about our wives, just sharing a blessing about our wife. And he said, "I've been married." however many years, 35, 40 years. And he said, my wife has never once mentioned my disability. And he said, I love her for that. Wow. She looked past his visible difficulty and loved him for who he was. Back in Philippians... Maybe that's why the Apostle Paul says about going to be with Christ in verse 23. To depart and be with Christ, literally it reads this way, it would be much more better. Three adjectives in a row. That's not great English, but it's great Greek. 
because it strengthens what he was saying. He said, to go and be with Christ, the one who looked past my terrible behavior, my wicked behavior, and reached down and saved me, that would be much more better. Job put it this way, I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. How my heart yearns within me. The Apostle Paul yearned to see Christ his Savior. The summer before Sue and I were married, we lived in different places. Uh, I was in Seattle, she was in Salem part of the time, and then Wenatchee part of the time. We were married in Wenatchee at the, in September. And that was before the internet. That was before Skype. That was before cell phones. It was way back in the dark ages when there was only one phone company. And to call long distance was expensive. And so we wrote letters and we wrote cards and we had occasional phone calls and occasional visits. And my heart yearned to see her. The Apostle Paul is in jail, and he's not looking at heaven as an escape from jail. He's looking at heaven thinking, my Savior is there. Boy, that's what I want, he said. That's where I want to be. Do you want to be in heaven? I knew somebody one time who, who said, I don't, I don't want to go to heaven yet. I've got some things I want to do first. I want to you know, have a family, this, that, and the other. Do you want to be with the Lord? I would suggest to you that if your desire is small, then your relationship is small. And perhaps your view of yourself and your view of the Savior are small. Paul looked at himself and he said, I'm a terrible person, but God has saved me. Wow, I want to go be with him. Paul was looking forward to being with Christ. Paul was also looking forward to life without sin. Turn with me to Romans chapter 7, please. Romans 7. In God's method of in inspiring scripture he caused the writers of scripture to speak many times out of their life and to the circumstances of the lives of the hearers of scripture and this is one of those great examples where the apostle paul talks about his own life and and his own life illustrates the truth that god wanted us to hear look at romans 7:14 for we know that the law, the Old Testament law, is spiritual, but I am carnal or fleshly sold under sin. Verse 15, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, what I desire to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that's what I do. If then I do what I will not to do, 
I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I do not find. For the good that I want to do, I do not do. But the evil I do not want to do, that's what I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then that a law of evil, that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. O wretched man that I am! Who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind I myself serve the law of God, with the flesh the law of sin. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The Apostle Paul had the same struggle with sin that you have. Now, he may not have struggled with the exact same sins, but he had the same struggle. He, there were things he, he knew he needed to do, and he, and he didn't do them. And there were things he did not want to do, and those were the things he did. Now, if I understand Philippians 3, and we'll get there in another couple of months, I understand that the Apostle Paul knew that this was a process of growing. And I expect that by the time he was writing Philippians in jail in, in Rome, that he had, had largely come to control the struggle of sin. And probably if you saw his life, it would have been pretty righteous most of the time, but there still would have been struggles in his mind. The Apostle Paul had the same struggle with sin that you and I have. And so the solution that he found is summarized here for us in 1 Corinthians 9, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. The word discipline means to beat black and blue. Now, I don't think the Apostle Paul actually took a baseball bat and whacked himself on the head. But what he's talking about is that he's trying to get us to understand the depth, the depth of the spiritual struggle he went through. He said, my flesh, my body has desires. You see, for the Christian, the power of sin has been broken, but the flesh keeps crying out for certain desires, and we have to say no to it. And, he, and in this, this context of 1 Corinthians 9, he says, he says, the spiritual battle that I go through means I have got to beat my flesh up. I've got to say no. He knew the struggle of sin. You don't have any struggles like that, do you? I knew a fellow once, I had a friend that was my age, and this was, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago. It was a long time ago, but he talked to an older man. And he was talking about, this was an older Christian, and he was talking about uh, some of the temptations to purity that men have. And he says to this older man, he said, you don't have any problems with that anymore, do you? 
you know, thinking, well, he's old and, you know, all those urges have gone away or whatever. And the man looks at him and he says, I'm breathing, aren't I? <laughs> hey, the Apostle Paul was breathing. The Apostle Paul knew the struggle with sin. If you aren't tired of the battle with sin, it's because you've surrendered to it and you are living in it. If your commitment is to walk with Christ, you know the battle that he spoke about. And if you are looking forward to being with Jesus, then this should be your testimony and this should be your hope. Beloved, now we are the children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. In other words, the exact nature of our existence in heaven has not been told to us, not all the details, but we know that when he is revealed, when we see him from heaven, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. As the Apostle Paul sat in that jail, do you think he was ever tempted to be snippy with the jail guards? Do you ever think he was tempted to complain? Do you ever think, think he was tempted not to be respectful of Caesar? Even though he's the one in Romans 13 that said, be in subjection to all of the government authorities. You could go on and on and imagine all the temptations he had. And as he sat here writing Philippians 1.21, he said, to live is Christ, but to die. Oh, my battle with sin will be over. Man, he said, that's going to be a great day. No more battling with my flesh. I will be perfectly righteous as Jesus is. Number four, the Apostle Paul was looking forward to being home. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, please. 1 Corinthians 5 is right after Romans. 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. The fourth thing that I think Paul was looking forward to was physical rest. 2 Corinthians 5. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. When Jesus said, I am going to prepare a place for you, it literally, it doesn't say mansion, you know, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. That's a wonderful invention of the songwriter and also the King James translation. But it literally means I have a place to dwell. And I think he's referring to that dwelling place here. We know that if our earthly house, this tent, God calls our physical body a temporary dwelling. If this one is destroyed, and, and what that also says, by the way, if you didn't catch the inference, you are eternal. Your body is temporal. You will either be eternal going from here to heaven or from here to hell. You are eternal. Your body is temporal. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands. This is not a physical house, he said. It's eternal in the heavens. Christ has made it for us. 
In this one, we groan. Anybody groan this morning? In their physical bodies? <laughs> yes. In this one, we groan. Earnestly desiring to be clothed with our dwelling place, which is from heaven. If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked or without a dwelling place. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened. Not because we want to be dead or unclothed, but further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has also given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Romans 8 said, the Holy Spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. And so as I look forward to my earthly dwelling, I look forward with confidence. That's the Spirit guarantee. So we are always confident, verse 6, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and present with the Lord. Paul was looking forward to physical rest. In chapter 12, in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, we read that Paul got a glimpse inside of heaven. I think I got some of my scripture out of place. There it is. He got a glimpse inside of heaven. And, and I wonder if this is what he saw. They shall neither hunger anymore, nor thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. For the Lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. The Apostle Paul got a glimpse into heaven and he saw wonderful things that he couldn't tell us about. Can you imagine yourself the Apostle Paul and just imagine you're being beaten with rods. They would beat them on their feet in particular. How about this? Imagine that you're stoned and no, not with drugs. They throw stones at you until you pass out and you think, okay, here it is, I'm going to heaven. And then you wake up and here you are on earth. Oh, How great to be stoned to death and then open your eyes and go, I'm with the Lord. That's the way he lived. He lived, he says in other scripture, he lived with a death sentence in him. And so he was thinking, boy, someday I am going to go to sleep and wake up with the Lord. Someday I'm going to be beaten and pass out and wake up with the Lord. And part of what he was looking forward to was the fact that he would die no more. He would suffer no more. He would have aches and pains or groanings no more. Physical rest. Apostle Paul was looking forward to being home. He was looking forward to being home. 
He didn't feel at home in the world for two reasons. The first reason is this, persecution. Uh, in John 16, 33, Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation. We don't get persecution of any sort that's even close to what the Apostle Paul got. We get a little dab here and there. Sometimes, though, we can begin to perceive what Paul perceived because in our society it keeps making turns away from Christ and to sin. And we think, no, no, don't go there, come back. And, and some Christians even work to get the society to, to somehow be more Christian in, in the way that they live. And, 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 and we, we struggle with that. And one of the things you should take from that struggle is going to heaven will be the end of it. It's going to be wonderful and perfect. In the world you will have tribulation, Jesus said, but, but don't worry about that because there's going to be a great day coming. Second reason that Paul was looking forward to being home was, was temptation. He didn't, he didn't like the, the temptation that the world brings. He knew it fed into his flesh. Don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but it's of the world. As you mature in Christ, you're going to realize that, that a lot of things in the world do not help you as a Christian. They feed your flesh. And if you're honest enough to step back, you're going to go, man, I wish the world wasn't that way. Um, I enjoy a good, a good murder mystery on TV, but after you watch two or three of them, I think, boy, I wish there would be some positive stuff. You know, uh, I wish there would just be something that's just uplifting. And I know there's some things out there, and we try to find those things too, but the world dwells on all of this, and, and I think, oh, it would be great to, to be with the Lord. These words about the Old Testament saints sort of summarize what Paul felt and what we should feel. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them. They embraced them. They confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, but now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city or a dwelling place for them. The Apostle Paul said, this world is not my home. And that's why the, I think the position that he had also caused him to look home. Look at this. If you then were raised with Christ, and this is talking about when you came to faith in Christ, if you believed in Christ, then the scripture says you were raised with Christ from, from sin to newness of life. If you were raised with Christ, then you should be seeking those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Do you understand that the scripture says, your home is in heaven? You are already there sitting with God in heaven. And that's why there's a tug at our heart to be there 
if we would meditate on that more and live in light of that more, we would, like Paul, thinking to die is gain. I love to travel, love to see things, love to go places. And I love to come home to my bed, my chair. Love to travel and ride in a lot of conveyances, and I love to get back in my car. Just It's where I belong. The Apostle Paul was talking about heaven, saying, that's where I belong. That's where I'm sitting with Christ. That's where I belong. Paul was looking forward to heaven, to being with Christ, to freedom from sin, to physical rest, to being home, and... He was looking forward to heaven with confidence. With confidence. Why? Well, number one, because he believed in Christ as Savior. Um, Jesus said these words himself, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions or dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. And Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The Apostle Paul knew that Christ was the key to heaven. He had believed in Christ, and he knew that Christ would receive him again. Death is gain if you have believed in Christ, but if you have not believed in Christ, death is not gain. Death is condemnation and punishment forever. Hell is as real as heaven. There is one to shun and one to gain. The question I ask today is, are you celebrating Christmas confident that you are on your way to meet Christ personally when he chooses that day for you? The Apostle Paul was confident because he believed. He was also confident because he had obeyed Christ as Lord. Now, I don't mean to communicate with you that we earn merit by our deeds and that gets us an access to heaven. That is not at all what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is, if you're a Christian, the way you live contributes to your desire for heaven and desire for relationship with God. And we read part of this scripture earlier. Here's the rest of it. Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it not, has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope purifies himself, just as he is pure. We don't earn heaven. We don't do a bunch of things to make sure we can get into heaven. But we do things to be ready for heaven. And the more we are, the more we are walking with the Lord as a believer who walks obediently, the more we are anticipating heaven and ready to meet him at any moment's notice. If you're nervous, about meeting Christ, something is not right in your relationship with him. If you're nervous about going to heaven, something is not right in your relationship with him. 
And what God says we need to do, if we have believed in Christ, is we need to purify. That is, we need to walk righteously, say no to sin, say yes to righteousness. God talks about our righteousness as white robes. Someday we'll stand before Christ. The question we ought to ask is, how do we want to show up? I participated in the funeral of of the deputy at Skagit Valley who was murdered a few years ago. And it was the first time I wore a dress uniform they gave me from the sheriff's office. And so there were some adjustments to be made. I actually inherited a uniform from another chaplain who never wore it. They bought it for him, and part of it fit me and part of it didn't. And uh, so I took it to the place that makes those modifications. They specialize in uniforms down in Seattle. And, and then there's certain insignia that you have for whatever you do. And one of the things is is bars for service, how many years of service you have. And I said, well, I need X number of these. And so, yeah, no problem, no problem. So I got the thing, got all ready to put it on, and I looked at it, and I thought, they put the wrong markings on the sleeve. They put markings like the fire department uses, not the sheriff's department uses. So I got my little knife out real quick, and I cut them off, because I was not about to show up in a dress occasion unprepared. Now, as it turns out later on, they were right. My other police department used a different kind, and I didn't know it. And I looked at the other guys, and I thought, Ooh, how are you going to show up to see Christ the first time? How do you want to show up to see Christ? One of the reasons to live righteously all the time is because you don't know when the day of your death is coming. You don't know when the moment of your death is coming. And if we would just just make it a habit to walk righteously, and every time we sin, if we would just stop and say, oh God, I'm sorry, that's wrong, and confess that sin, then we would walk cleansed. We would be walking in white robes. And if God suddenly reached down and said, it's time, we would show up ready. Otherwise, we'll show up with our head hanging. We'll be there. We'll make it. Sorry, Jesus. The Apostle Paul worked at righteousness because he didn't want anything more than to show up in heaven. He, he wanted to go now. He always wanted to go, and so he worked at living for the Lord. There's a third reason, though, why he was looking forward to heaven. And it's this, because he invested his life in heavenly goods. We all have some investments. Some of them are pretty small. Some of them are a little bit larger. But whatever they are, you take note of them. You watch them. You pay attention. The Apostle Paul worked to live out these words of Jesus. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy thieves and not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be. How did that work out in his life? It worked out like this. 
he wrote to this church in Thessalonica and he said, what is, what is my hope, my joy, my crown of rejoicing? What really excites me? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? You know why he was looking forward to heaven? Because he knew all of his investments would be there. <laughs> he said, man, I've invested here and I've invested there and I've invested there. And someday we're all going to be in heaven together. And that is going to be so exciting to look over and say, wow, there you are. What a great way to, to live your life. Paul was excited to go to heaven because all of his valuables were there. <laughs> His crown jewels, so to speak. I heard of some I heard of some criminal behavior recently, and my immediate reaction was to be nervous about what I own. And nervous about what the church owns. Man. I have to work harder at investing in heaven, not on earth. Those are the investments that are real. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. To depart and be with Christ is much more better. When Queen Elizabeth I of England, many years ago, was about to die, She turned to her lady-in-waiting and said, Oh my God, it's over. I've come to the end of it. The end. The end. How sad. A famous pastor of years ago who himself is with the Lord now, James Montgomery Boyce, had a slightly different perspective on death and heaven. Death for the Christian is never pictured in the Bible as a gain over the worst in this life. Instead, it's portrayed as an improvement on the best. For me to live as Christ, nothing wrong with that. But to die is gain. I pray that it's so for you, my friend, today.